we become what we worship, don't we? And we are here uh, because we've been wired to worship Jesus Christ. He's the most important person in the universe. He's the most important person in this church family. And this is why uh, our vision as a church is to be a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. And we are a part of uh, an incredible family that is gathering really all across the globe, isn't it? Um, Making much of the resurrected Christ. And so it is good to be together today, isn't it? Amen. Amen. That's right. And I uh, am especially delighted to introduce to you, church family, our teacher this morning, uh, Dr. Don Sanukian. Um, Don is the uh, chairman of the preaching a department at Talbot School of Theology in Southern California. And about 15 years ago, I first met uh, Dr. Sanukian uh, for my uh, doctoral studies and in preaching. And uh, hands down, he's been the most formative uh, instructor for my ministry here uh, uh, and uh, continue to reap dividends from his instruction. And so... He's here this weekend uh, as a part of a preaching forum that's going to take place tomorrow, uh, sponsored by Urbana Theological Seminary. And pastors from all over the county are going to be gathering and uh, really getting uh, into a day of learning uh, with Dr. Don. And so um, I asked him if he could come a day early and uh, uh, meet you and um, hear a word of the Lord from him. And so with that, let's welcome Dr. Don. When you first saw my name in print, you said, how does this guy say his name? (laughs) And now that you look at me, you say, you don't look Japanese. (laughs) Uh, Sanukian is an Armenian name. Armenia is a country up near Turkey, above Syria. Whenever you see I-A-N at the end of a name, I-A-N, that's going to be an Armenian name. Era Parsegian, used to coach at Notre Dame. Jack Kevorkian. <laughs> Bogosian, Tamishian, Katabjian, Harimian. Those are relatives of mine. I learned early on people are going to have trouble with my last name. Kindergarten. Well, you go to class first day of kindergarten. Teacher has the three-by-five cards, alphabetical arrangement of the class roll going through it, you know, trying to learn who the students are, gets toward the end of the alphabet. Smith, here. Sturdivant, here. Don. (laughs) That's when I learned people are going to have trouble. Uh, So you can call me Don. That way you won't worry about butchering my last name and anything like that. If I said that I was going to do something quick as a wink, 
How fast is that? Do you know how fast a wink is? If I said, I wouldn't do that for all the tea in China. How much tea are we talking about? Do you know? If I say, I haven't seen you in a coon's age. How long has it been since we've seen each other? Do you know a raccoon's age? (laughs) If I complain that one of my children is moving at a snail's pace, how fast is he or she, probably he, moving? Do you know how fast a snail's pace is? You don't know the answers to those questions. But God does. God knows that a wink is one-third of a second. Want to see it again? (laughs) God knows how much tea there is in China, according to a recent estimate, about 370,000 tons. God knows that a coon's age is 13 years. And God knows that a snail's pace is 10 feet per hour. If he comes through that door while I'm talking and he really hustles and nobody steps on him during the Super Bowl game, he'll make it out here about 8 o'clock tonight. (laughs) Now, God knows all of those things. And the reason is God simply knows everything. Everything that could be known, God knows it. Whatever is out there to be known, God knows it. That's one of his traits. It's one of his characteristics. In theology, we say it's one of his attributes, the attribute of omniscience. Omniscience, omniscience, all knowledge. God has all knowledge. God knows everything. This morning I want to focus on God's knowledge. I want us to see how absolute, how all-encompassing is God's knowledge. I want us to see how vast, how penetrating, how minute, how absolute is God's knowledge. And then having seen it, I want to see what that means to you and me. I want to see how encouraging it is for us to know that God knows everything. What good promise comes out of that knowledge to us? First of all, how vast is God's knowledge? How encompassing is God's knowledge? The Bible says God's knowledge is so vast that God knows every star in existence, its individual characteristics, and in fact, God has given a name to every star. That's billions, trillions of names. I couldn't keep straight the names of my five kids. 
Sarah, Mike, whoever, whoever you are, quit it. I know you live here, I just forget your name. Right? <laughs> you, you have in your reading vocabulary 60,000 words. You can recognize 60,000 words in your reading vocabulary. Your speaking vocabulary is about 40,000 words. That's words. And that's nouns, adjectives, adverbs, prepositions, words. God has trillions of proper names. Listen to how the psalmist puts it. He counts the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord. His understanding, his wisdom is infinite. I mean, God's knowledge is beyond our comprehension in its vastness. But the Bible also says that God's knowledge extends to the most insignificant detail. God's knowledge is so minute, so penetrating, so specific, God knows the most insignificant least thing that happens. He knows it. He attends to it. Tomorrow morning, Champagne, pet store owner, is going to open shop. Going to go to that glassed-in area against the wall, take out two parakeets, put them in a cage, put a sign on the cage, sale, two parakeets, five ninety-five. Later that morning, a woman's going to come into the pet store, want to buy a pet for her grandchildren and uh, son-in-law won't let dogs or cats in the house yeah she'll settle on the parakeets so write a check two parakeets 5.95 so take the cage outside to the car put it in the back seat of her car and start to drive away two three blocks down another car will suddenly pull out from the curb in front of her and She'll avoid a collision with a sudden breaking, and in the back seat, the cage will tumble to the floor of the car. Okay. And God in heaven will know it happened. He knows it happened, and He is attentive to it. Isn't that what Jesus tells us in Mark, Matthew chapter ten? Open your Bible, Matthew chapter 10. If you're going to use the Bible on the chair, uh, page 688. Page 688, Matthew chapter 10. I'll give you time to get there. Matthew 10. Pick up the Bible underneath or around or in front, somewhere there. 688. Matthew 10. The most insignificant least thing that happens, God knows it. Matthew 10, Jesus says, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In his culture, if you were too poor to bring a lamb for sacrifice, uh, you could offer two small birds, sparrows, doves. And the cost of these was a penny. 
A penny in his culture was a small copper coin. Um, the, the, the name of it was an Assyrian, an Assyrian. And the value of an Assyrian was one-sixteenth of a larger coin called a denarius, just like a nickel is one-fifth of a quarter, an Assyrian is one-sixteenth of a denarius. The value, the monetary value of a denarius was a typical day's wage. Semi-skilled person working eight, nine hours a day would be given a denarius at the end of a day. An Assyrian is one-sixteenth of that. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not two parakeets sold for five ninety-five? And yet, not one of them falls to the ground apart from the will and the knowledge of your Father. God knows. God's knowledge is vast. He knows the name of every star. God's knowledge is detailed. He knows the tumble of every parakeet. But most of all, God's knowledge is personal. He knows you. He knows everything about you. God's knowledge is vast. God's knowledge is specific. Most of all, God's knowledge is loving. He knows you. He knows why you chose to wear what you're wearing this morning. You say, well, that's not hard. It was the only clean thing in the closet. (laughs) He knows whether it's your winter colors or whether it was a gift and you're trying to please the giver or whether there's a certain impression you wanted to make and what you're wearing will help you make that impression. God knows you. He knows what you're going to have for lunch. He knows how many stop signs or signals you will go through on your way to wherever you're going tomorrow. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how you would act in a certain situation even if you're not sure what you would do. If your child ran his bike into a car and was sprawled on the ground, God knows you. He knows what your reaction would be. Are you hurt? Are you hurt? Are you okay? Or how many times do I tell you, watch where you're going? He knows which one it would be. You parked your car on a hill. You walked away and somebody said, look, and your car is starting to roll down the hill. God knows whether you'd go, my car, my car, my car. Or whether you'd be crazy to run and ju- try and jump in a moving car. Okay? God knows how you'd act if he gave you another child right now. Actually, it might take a few months, but... 
God knows how you'd act if your computer screen suddenly went blank and you hit a couple of keys and it said system malfunction, material may be lost. God knows. No! <laughs> or, no, there's got to be a way of getting it back. Where's the phone of that tech support? God knows how you'd act if he put you in a certain position at work or if he moved your business to a certain level. God knows. God knows you. That's what Jesus goes on to say. After talking about the tumble of paracretes, verse 30, even the very hairs of your head, the hairs of your head, they are numbered. Because you are worth more than many paracrites. God is so attentive to you. God is so concerned about you. God is so on top of you. God is so much continually looking at your life and knowing exactly what's going on that at any moment, this second, God could tell you exactly how many hairs, how many hairs are in your head. He keeps a running count. And this morning he subtracted a few. <laughs> this is our God's knowledge. Vast. Specific. Loving. And out of this knowledge, God has something very encouraging to say to you. Out of this omniscience, this encompassing, this minute, this loving omniscience, out of this omniscience, God has a promise to make you. And it's this. God, who knows you so well, will not let you experience anything that is beyond what he knows you can handle. God, who knows everything about you, will not let anything come into your life that is more than what he knows you're capable of. God's promise, he only brings, he only brings what he knows you can handle. I want you to see this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That'll be page 811, if you're using the Bible near you. Page 811, 1 Corinthians 10. After Acts, after Romans, comes 1 Corinthians 10. God only brings what he knows you're capable of. God will not allow anything into your life that's beyond your ability to cope with. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you. No test has come your way. No circumstance has developed. No situation has entered your life except what is common to human experience. 
Others have gone through it. Others have faced it. It is the kind of thing that comes into uh, the normal human situation. And God is faithful. Now, he's going to make a promise to you here. You can absolutely trust what he's going to say. You can count on it. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He won't let you face something that is more than you can handle. He won't allow the situation to be something that is beyond your ability to cope with. But when it comes, when you are tempted, when the situation arises, when the, when the, the circumstance develops, he will provide a way, a way out, so that you can stand up under it. He'll provide a way that you can put your hand in his and you can walk through it without sinning and without being devastated by it. God is faithful. He will not allow you to experience something beyond what he knows you can bear. This means God will not give you a child too difficult for you to raise. God knows. He knows you. He knows you have within you the right combination of firmness and wisdom and love for this child. God will not give you a child too difficult for you to raise. God will not give you a husband who travels or is in a dangerous occupation unless he knew you could handle the fear. God will not have your children or your grandchildren move back in with you. <laughs> Unless God knew that there is some unexpected joy that is coming with it and some valuable shaping that you will do. And during the time he knows there's patience and stamina to go through it. God will not put you in a situation at work with the boss you have, the people you work with, the deadlines, the pressures, the tasks, the responsibilities. God would not put you there unless he knew you were able to do it. God would not give you a neighbor or a roommate that you cannot get along with. God would not ask you to live singly unless he knew it's best for the time being. God will not bring anything into your life that is more than he knows you're capable of. I remember when this hit me with the greatest force. Probably not the first time I thought of it, but it was one of those times when, pow! And it stayed with me. It was a couple of years after I had started pastoring a church in Scottsdale, Arizona, Scottsdale Bible Church, some years ago. When I went there, the church had been without a pastor for about a year and a half. And so when I came, there was a lot of, oh, so glad you're here. It's good to have a pastor again. And for the first year, year and a half, the church grew. The attendance went up. But after about a year and a half, two years, the excitement 
wore off. Um, I had made some mistakes. They figured, oh, he's not everything we thought he was going to be. Um, attendance started to go down. And I began to hear criticisms. And I began to sense that I was being compared to the former pastor. His name was Jim Borer. Uh, he had come some years earlier when they were a church of 80, and they had become with him a church of 500, and they loved him. But God called him to a church of several thousand in Southern California, and when he left, they, they just cried. I mean, they just hated to lose him. Okay? Uh, just a prince of a guy. And when I came, after a couple of years, and tennis was going down, and the excitement was wearing off, and criticism, and disenchantment, and I began to sense I'm being unfavorably compared to Jim Borer. It was like uh, when Jim Borer was here. Uh, for example, when Jim Borer was here, we had a, for vacation Bible school, we had a parade and a float through downtown to advertise Vacation Bible School. I managed on the Saturday church page to get a two-line item that nobody ever saw. When Jim Borer was here, our church had the highest percentage of adults enrolled in BMA, Bible Memory Association. We were written up in their national magazine. Here's a copy of the article when Jim Borer was here. The man's ghost was in the woodwork. Uh, one day I was walking down the hallway, and I went past the room, which was where our church library was, and that was where we also had a chest of drawers that held the cassette tapes of sermons at that time. And as I walked by the open door, I saw one of the young executives of the church in front of the chest with an open drawer. I said, hey, Bob, what are you doing? Oh, hi, Don. I'm... Uh, checking out Jim Borer's series on Romans. Okay, good. Yeah. Wonder if anybody ever checks out my tapes. I mean, I was just feeling intimidated, threatened, discouraged. We had on our staff at that time a young man named Greg Bowers, Greg was a seminary student, but he had taken a year off of seminary to do an internship with us at the church. And Scottsdale Bible Church was his home church. Okay? He had grown up in the church. So he knew the people a whole lot better than I did. He heard things I didn't hear. And one day in staff meeting, he says, Hey, Don, I hear that... Uh, some of the people are talking about inviting Jim Borer to come back to Scottsdale and start up a, another church here, and I was wondering how you'd feel about that. I would be flattered if God thought I were capable of that. And it hit me. If he came back and did that, it would only be because God knew something about me 
that I didn't yet know about myself, that I could handle it? If God thought that Jim Bohr could come back in and do that, and Sanukian would not be crushed or devastated, I was honored that he had such an opinion of me. Jim Bohr didn't come back. God knew I couldn't handle it. (laughs) God is faithful. God is faithful. God will not allow anything into your life that's beyond what he knows you're capable of. As you look at your life, is there a tension? Is there a difficulty? Is there a problem? Is there a person? you look at the future, are the next six months or a year, are they going to be okay? Okay? My friend, God knows you. God knows you. And God is creating your future. And he promises he's only going to bring what he knows you're capable of. Count on that. Be joyful in that confidence. Our God is good. Oh, Lord, thank you. What incredible, wise love. Only bringing those things which will help draw us closer to you and make us more like your son. Thank you for your loving attention to us. In Jesus' name, amen.